Welcome to Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Speaking with chefs, artists, and food makers, farmers, authors, and tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious. A very good Sunday to you, food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. The next best thing to eating food is talking about it. So stay tuned for a full hour of delicious conversation. I don't believe that great cooks are born. I actually think they're made. And I am all about feeding your soul on this show. We cover everything having to do with fabulous food, with a little bit of travel and tech, health, wine pairing, mixology, and more thrown in. This is where I have recipes and tips to share, techniques from my kitchen to yours. And as a graduate of the Culinary Institute of America, I'd like to consider myself your culinary coach. For 15 years here in your radio, you can find all the information you need to be the best cook you know. And whether you love to cook or just love to eat, I hope that you will take your culinary skills to the next level just by staying tuned. I'm always serving up seconds, including past information, podcasts that are downloadable with a click of a button at chefjamie.com, C-H-E-F-J-A-M-I-E.com. And there's more, and it's delectable. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen. So I'll kick off this hour of gastronomic inspiration by speaking about the Venetian Renaissance painter Carpaccio. Now, you know that I'm going down the food road here, right? Well, in the National Gallery of Art, you can find seven Carpaccios, in fact. But you can find his name popping up on restaurant menus just about everywhere across the country. And those plates are often works of art as well. It is said that over a half century ago, the particular hue of Carpaccio's red art inspired Harry's Bar in Venice to label its dish of raw beef presented translucently thin and sauced as carpaccio. But the concept of carpaccio has come a long way. And now it includes just about anything that is flat on the plate. And thank you, molecular food science and liquids and powders. We can do that with just about anything. Now, I do appreciate a fresh approach. And chef friends of mine and restaurant chefs across the country uh, still consider carpaccio done best with simplicity, a sharp knife, sometimes a rolling pin, sometimes a ring mold, even a meat pounder, all give you a stunning carpaccio presentation. But what I love about carpaccio is that no matter what form it takes, whether it's beef or fish or even fresh fruit, there is this wonderful lightness and a no-cook-required mentality. So it really makes an incredible summer meal. Now, in looking at carpaccios across the country, I've seen a a wild-striped bass carpaccio that's dressed with artichokes and lemon zest and olive oil and fresh tangerine segments and juice. At a restaurant that I love called Kalina in my hometown, Los Angeles, uh, there is a a beautiful carpaccio or a crudo that's actually served, thank you, Chef Meadow Williams, with a Marcona almond puree, rather. 
And uh, across the country, in fact, on the East Coast, a lobster carpaccio being served in Washington, D.C., thanks to the great Jose Andres. It has a lobster roe oil and fresh chives and fleur de sel and pepper. And really, all you need for a great carpaccio at home is a good quality protein and a really sharp knife. And the secret is that the Protein itself can be sliced thin enough to eat when you freeze it just briefly beforehand. And you can get really clean cuts that way as well. Now, think of deconstructing your favorite dish and making it into carpaccio. So, of course, the standard proteins work. But what about thin slices of avocado with... uh, segments, or we call them supreme, of grapefruit on top. What about taking smoked salmon, this is the quick store-bought trick, by the way, and layering a, a plate with thin slices of smoked salmon topped with capers and slivers of red onion. I happen to make something I call a zucchini carpaccio, albeit it doesn't lay flat on the plate, but ribbons of raw, fresh zucchini for all of you who are growing zucchini this summer and you have a bountiful garden, what a wonderful summer salad to serve. I just slice the zucchini on a mandolin as thin as you can, and then I layer the ribbons of zucchini with a good, generous squeeze of preferably Meyer lemon juice or any lemon you have from your tree or around. I'll usually drizzle generous amount of olive oil, seasoned salt and pepper, and then finish with something green and beautifully herbaceous like fresh mint leaves or even basil. And it really does make for a beautiful fresh summer side dish. Now, when it comes to new inspiration for carpaccio, the most recent attempt I made was inspired by a chef who actually served the carpaccio for breakfast. Now, I happen to love a peach jam or a peach compote. And oftentimes during the summer, I think there's nothing better than just stone fruit eaten out of hand. But at the height of summer, when stone fruit is sweet and ripe and perfect, there is something spectacular about thin slices of nectarine or peach or apricot in carpaccio fashion. You can celebrate the sweetness by cutting them very thinly and laying them flat on a plate and then bringing them to life with a little bit of lime juice or lemon juice and olive oil, salt, and pepper. And then maybe you could top it with a handful of fresh baby arugula leaves and you could call it a salad and you could prepare the dishes in advance and then serve them to everyone at your summer soiree. And I guarantee you will definitely be a culinary hero. And as far as I'm concerned, carpaccio, well, it almost doesn't even count as cooking. I'll post some carpaccio inspiration once again at chefjamie.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at chefjamiegwen. Or you can always email me direct. Jamie at chefjamie.com is my email address, and I will answer you personally. Okay, here's the food news you need to know this week. Did you know that you could be the lucky recipient of a goat farm and dairy? That's right. It might only cost you 150 bucks. The Humble Heart Farms Goat Dairy and Creamery are gifting their farm to the food lover that can write the best essay. For a $100, $150 entry fee, 
You can tell them why you deserve to win the farm, and you could become the proud owner of 55 goats, 20 acres, and $20,000 to run the place. The deadline is October 1st. Go to goatdairyessay.com. Oh, I love it. And then this is pretty cool. The first vegetables were grown in space. And the astronauts at the International Space Station who grew that red romaine lettuce munched a salad this past week. The long-term plan is for the astronauts to be able to grow their own produce so that they can eat well on longer space endeavors. But considering light and temperature and water with gravitational pull, I think that's really amazing. Next up, by the way, they're planning for tomatoes and potatoes in space. This is bringing space food to a whole new level, wouldn't you agree? And considering that some people can't even grow basil on their patio, I think it's really impressive. And last but not least in food news you need to know this week, this omakase is omakrazy. Omakase, if you don't know, is a meal in a Japanese restaurant that consists of dishes selected by the chef. And the two-time Tokyo Michelin Guide starred chef, Takeshi Omai, I believe is the pronunciation of his last name, is presenting a new concept at his restaurant on Decatur Boulevard in Las Vegas, just off the strip. Well, he is drastically changing his operational style to maximize your sushi satisfaction. And he is serving only omakase, that planned Japanese menu, to just one table. There are three seatings a night, but he's taken all the tables out of his restaurant and left just one. With guests from two to ten, it is your choice. There is one omakase menu for $150 per person, and now your dinner is always your private function. I think that's fabulous. There are a few other phenomenal tastes I hope you'll find as well at chefjamie.com this week, like the art of grilling pizza, my think like a chef feature, a recipe for summer grilled vegetables with shaved Parmesan and honey inspired by the flavors of Sicily, truly delicious. And then of course, something sweet, a crepe Suzette recipe that is, I think, really sensational for a sweet ending to dinner. And stay tuned because there's lots more delicious conversation coming up. The food geek extraordinaire is stopping by. He's Scott Hymendinger of Modernist Cuisine fame, but with a new project, he's giving us an education in sous vide cooking. Plus, Food Network star Judge, and of course, Iron Chef Judge, Mom, restaurateur, and more. Donatella Arpea is stopping by to pack our lunch boxes. Plus, we're planning our end of summer travel, so don't touch your dial. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. I'll be right back. Delivering the world of food directly to your radio. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen. Okay, so cooking techniques are an ongoing revolution. We know that. And curious cooks want to learn. Great chefs want to share their passion. Well, Scott Heimendinger, he is one of those great chefs. 
Before joining the team of chefs and scientists and food writers at Modernist Cuisine, Scott, a self-proclaimed food geek, worked at Microsoft and um, IMB. Now he spends time in the kitchen lab, developing new products and making his proven science of cooking techniques accessible to home chefs. After three and a half years serving as the director of applied research at Modernist and many a radio interview here, he has turned his attention to Sancerre. In 2012, Scott was named one of Forbes 30 under 30 in the food and wine category. In 2013, his Sancerre home sous vide machine launched on Kickstarter, setting a new funding record. I'm glad to have you back, Scott. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Okay, uh, just break it down for us. You love it, and lots of great cooks love it. What is sous vide? So sous vide, this thing that you might be hearing about or maybe yes. have seen on one of these cooking competition shows, is a method of cooking that uses very, very precise temperature control to make sure that your food is cooked to exactly the right doneness every time without you having to worry about you know precision timing or how hot your skillet is or anything like that. Uh, if you've uh, watched one of these shows or, or seen in a magazine, food cooking in like a plastic bag in a water bath, yes. that's what sous vide looks like. Um, and the way it works is, let's, let's take a steak, for example, because we all love great steak. Yes. If I want to cook my steak to medium rare, although in recipes they might say, oh, that's X minutes per side or whatever, really it's not about time, it's about temperature. Medium rare is a temperature. Um, so I set my sans air up in a water bath, and it heats and circulates the water. Then I put my steak in a zip-top bag uh, and get most of the air out, drop it in the bath, and the sans air will cook it to exactly the temperature I want it to reach within a tenth of a degree, and I don't have to worry about timing. Okay, how does it know? Because I want to take a step back for a second. I, too, love sous vide. And if you haven't, you know, attempted it at home before, which we've all been taught you can do it in a pot or you can try it with the bag, like you said, but the temperature is not regulated. You can buy a $1,200 machine, a commercial machine, that you have to read the entire manual and learn to use. Um, Or you can go to a fabulous restaurant and you can see, you know, a sous vide short rib or sous vide egg, and you can enjoy it and wax poetic about it. I mean, there's a beauty to it. But my question is, how did you get to the point where you could make it so exact and so brilliant? How does it know at home? So (laughs) years ago, before there was such thing as a sous vide machine, and there was just a handful of cutting edge chefs um, uh, using this technique, they were using repurposed laboratory equipment, these expensive $1,200 circulators. Hmm. And when I had my first sous-vide egg at a restaurant that blew my mind and changed my life, uh, I had to learn how it works. So I reverse-engineered how those laboratory circulators work. I figured it cannot be that hard and that expensive to heat water. Uh, and I was right. And then with the help of uh, my business partner and a great team at Sanzer, we took uh, the core technology for regulating temperature very precisely, within a tenth of a degree, um, and bundled it up into a machine designed for the home cook first, something that's easy to use and that doesn't have to break the bank. Yeah, exactly, and that's not that expensive. All right, here's the genius of it in in getting to know the Sanser 
um, do you call it a sous vide machine? Yeah. A sous vide machine is that you can leave the steak once it comes to medium rare to that temperature you designate, right? In the water bath and it will never overcook. Yes. Okay, how do you, mind. how do you, it blows my mind, and, and I have a culinary degree. How do you do that? Well, so, so think about um, what it means for your steak to be done, to reach medium rare. That just means that the inside of the steak has reached the temperature that you want. Right. But because that temperature, let's call it, it let's call it 125 degrees, right? And for me, that's, I like my steak, you know, on the mooing side. Uh, I, I like mine to moo, too. You and I could have a steak together. I would love just that. a soft, subtle moo, just a, a, yeah. a low, you know, deep one. You set the temperature on the sans air to 125 degrees, uh, and you do that just by turning a little ring on the top. The water temperature is now going to stay at 125 degrees. You add your steak to the bath; your steak is going to reach 125 degrees, and then the rest of the day ticks on. And guess what? Everything just stays at that temperature, which means that you could take your steaks out of the freezer. Drop them in the bath in the morning, go to work, go to yoga, go to impromptu happy hour with your friends, get caught in traffic, whatever you're going to do, come home, and it's still perfectly cooked to the doneness that you prefer. There's no carryover cooking in sous vide. No. Or with the, well, let's say with the Sancerre. In fact, the only thing that happens if you leave your steak in longer is it becomes more tender. Okay, I like the idea of your day, by the way. Work, yoga, impromptu happy hour, a teeny bit of traffic, and then home for a steak. It's for more than steaks. From a, a sous vide perspective, talk about, I mean, you talk about the egg. A sous vide egg has this, to me, silky mouthfeel that is uh, is hard to compare to anything else. And you get the perfect runny yolk and you get the perfect soft white, right? And you can't really duplicate it any other way. But you sous vide vegetables, uh, you sous vide for grilling, which really takes us to the summer conversation since we're in the dog days and, and heat of summer. Uh, I think that's really an interesting concept to cook uh, low, slow at a consistent temperature and then finish on the grill. Yes. Um, I love grilling. And there's something super romantic about being outside and having the smells and flavor of the grill. But if you've ever been to, you know, been over to someone's house when they're grilling and they're the grill only fits, you know, six chicken breasts, and there's 12 people over, and chicken takes forever to cook, and it ends up dried out, and so you're serving people in rounds, and you're having to wait, and people get a little hangry, like... That takes some of the romanticism out of it. Did you just say hangry? It. Little hangry. Hungry and angry. Hungry and angry. Oh, it's I'm, a real thing. I'm so adopting that word from you. I'll give you credit most of the time, but I'm going to use it. I love it. Please do. Okay. Um, with, uh, with sous vide, you can take a different strategy. So things like chicken, um, uh, roast, steaks, even corn um, and other vegetables, uh, you know, they can take a long time to cook on the grill because they're thick and... And then you, you know, you never know how hot is the grill that day. You know, do you have more coals or fewer coals or how's the Mm. gas doing, whatever. So it becomes this unpredictable thing. And it can cause a lot of anxiety, even for experienced grillers. Am I going to cook this right? You feel sort of anchored to the grill. Well, you can take away all of that and still get the romanticism. Here's what you do. You cook your foods, your chicken, your steak, your fish, Mm -hmm. uh, your corn and veggies. Cook them edge to edge done first with the sans air. 
And now they're totally done. They can hang out in a water bath all day long. And then when it's time to eat, you crank your grill up to rocket hot, as hot as you can get it. And, and you, you put the food on exactly yes. just to get those grill marks or, uh, or the sear. And this way you can feed a crowd in very record smart. time very and smart. everything's perfectly cooked. I think it's very genius. I really do. I think you're very genius. I, I, I think that this wave of technology and the future of food is very promising for uh, those that are passionate foodies and great cooks alike. And you have taken it to the next level. So congratulations to you. Thank you. That's quite a compliment. Well, and on all the success uh, that is Sancerre um, and to continued success. If you want to learn more about Scott Heimendinger's most extraordinary new creations and his cooking methods made for the home cook, you can check out Sansayer, S-A-N-S-A-I-R-E dot com. As the delicious conversation continues, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. I'll be right back. Fascinating, right? Providing an oasis for culinary sanity. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Welcome back. Okay, pack your carry-on. It's all you'll need because we're taking a trip up the coast. If you're planning an end-of-summer getaway, well, the expert for the West, Bridget Bins, is planning your next trip. Bridget lives and works in the wine country of Central California. I'm so jealous. 30 minutes from the Pacific, equidistant between L.A. and San Francisco, but she loves to travel everywhere. And she has turned her passion for food and the great outdoors into a career. Bridget is the author or co-author of 29 cookbooks and editor of many more. And you most recently heard her here on this show, Eating Up the West Coast. Yes, the book most recently released and published for Bridget Bins to take her West Coast escapades farther than they could ever go. And we're planning another journey. The Huffington Post, by the way, calls Bridget's opinionated drive, eat, think blog called Roadie, excuse me, the Huffington Post calls Bridget's opinionated drive-eat-think blog Road Foodie, one of the best food and drink websites, and I personally am delighted that she's back with more travel tips. Hey, Bridget. Hey, Jamie. It's always so <laughs> nice to visit with you. Yeah, I'm glad to have you too. Okay, end of summer, last getaway, West Coast-focused. Where should we drive? Well, I, you know, I, I feel like we haven't had much of a summer. It's been such weird weather it all has. across California. I agree, it? yes. Whenever I have an excuse, I always go to Big Sur. So, <laughs> I mean, that, that, any excuse will do. And the fact that there hasn't been much of a summer means that I want to trundle down the most beautiful road, 46 West from Paso Robles. And hit the one and go north towards Big Sur. Okay, I want to go with you, but I think that the best part of trips, and you and I agree, is not only the destination, but everything along the way. And that's what I love about your travel focus, is it's not just getting there. It's really appreciating and loving the moments in anticipation of the actual 
determined destination. So if we jump in the car with Stella, the greatest travel dog ever, as you say, right? (laughs) Uh, and, And we make our way to Big Sur, what would we see on on the road traveled. You know, I, I love that you say that because my mantra is some people drive just to arrive. Oh, I like that. And yeah. I'm not one of them. <laughs> I like, I want to have pie along the way. I want to stop for a milkshake. I need to see that, um, that vintage bookstore. Uh, I mean, you know, I, I like the journey. Mm-hmm, yeah. It's, that's where you you come upon the real true discovery. You know where you're going most of the time, right. but you never know what you're going to find on the way. And I, I have to say we're very, very fortunate here on the Central Coast to have something brand new and pretty much all the way outside of any box that I can think of. And the guy behind it uh, is basically a genius. It's called... It's called Centrally Grown, and even though that doesn't sound super sexy, this is your about a couple miles before the Hearst Castle, so just coming out of Cambria. Cambria. Yeah. Yes. Cute little town. Oh, great. You're heading towards San Simeon and the the road that starts to angle up towards Big Sur, so you're still in the flat. You're still right by the water, and here is this, I don't even know what to call it. It's not a restaurant. It's, It's more like a campus with a lot of fun for grown-ups and dogs and kids and et cetera, on your right. Love it. Okay, and and it's very much about the continuing trend, right? It's um, very West Coast, very farm-to-table. We need a new term for that. I mean, you know, it's it's from the earth, and it has all those beautiful sort of food bar components to it. It does. I mean, it's almost like being in a, in a beach bar on the Mediterranean somewhere, huh. that there's a little bar, there's all outdoor seating, there's a wood-burning pizza oven, then there's a market that has all kinds of great produce. And yes, it is. It, they're not, it's not just lip service. Everything is locally made, um, locally grown, Love it. locally staffed. I mean, they're, they're walking the walk. And I, I agree, we need another term besides farm to table. But everything in this place, it's sort of like driftwood chic, but not 70s, if you know what I mean. I do. No, it's it's got, um, what would I call that? I would call that elegant rusticity. Yes, with a, with a beachy theme. With a beachy so theme. You, okay, I'm in. Yeah, you've got the Monterey Pines. You've got, okay, two separate bars. One is outdoors, one is indoors, and very kind of elegant with a gorgeous view. Oh, cool. The restaurant itself is upstairs and hasn't really... Um, I don't think they're, they've reached their full potential yet. Huh. Um, so it's more about going for the great deli sandwiches, which you can get downstairs, or a pizza. They're going to find a place to sit outside, grab something from the bar, the gift shop, the, nice. the deli. Um, you, it, it's a grow-your-own experience, basically. I love that. Who doesn't want to take an end-of-summer trip? Bridget, please take a pause there. Before we get to Big Sur, there's more travel planning with Bridget Bins right after the break. We're back with Bridget Bins as we plan our end of summer travel and eat up the West Coast. Bridget, I happen to love Nepenthe too. I I love that it's so 
oh, what's the word? It's just so casual. It's so big, sir. It is yeah, so it big, is. sir. You're not there for the food specifically or anything more really than the view, and it's worth fighting the crowds. It is, and it's not as bad as I'm making out. No, it's Everyone not. That's comes, true. <laughs> Everyone comes to pose at the edge, and if you can get that, that little um, edge table, you can watch everybody posing, offer to take the pictures of people from various different countries around the world. And it's a super fun. Everyone is just so thrilled to be there. Um, and and there's also a gift shop yes, downstairs. The, yes, it's it's fabulous. And it has some really unique, like, Indian style of art. And, right, it's it's got some really authentic kind of feel to it. It has clothing and books about the area, and it has an amazing collection of jewelry that is mostly made by either local people or, or craftsmen in some other part of California. And I, I never fail to leave there without some wonderful earring. Without an artsy purchase. Yes, I love yeah. that. Well, let's keep going, though. Um, the, one of the most interesting places up there is Esalen. Yes. And I don't know if you, you, you must, I'm sure you've heard of it, but did you know you can go in there and have a massage and sit in the clothing optional tubs outside on the cliffs? It is, it's truly special. It is not inexpensive, but it is the splurge of, for a birthday. It's, it's a unique experience. And sometimes if you lift up your head during the massage, you'll see a whale breaching right outside the, uh, the little palapa. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Yes, no doubt. And then um, leave us with um, a final feature of Big Sur or that last stop on your, on your way out. Well, I, I'd like to, I, I rarely get to do this, but I think one thing that's really fun is to keep going past hmm. Big Sur, and you end up in Carmel. Oh, my gosh. I have memories as a, uh, as a child of Carmel. We, uh, My mom, we used to go there. She would take me there. And I, the big, beautiful trees. And uh, I just, I have very, very fond memories, in fact. I do, too. But I haven't been there much since I was little. But that beach is, is magic. It's, it's yes. A whole, it's not like Big Sur at all. It's a whole different um, feeling. The town is terribly cute, but hmm. but fun to walk around and I forget that it's it's only a half an hour beyond Big Sur. That's true. You're right. And you know what? What a what a wonderful sort of finish to a, a West Coast drive to a coastal tour. Really, um, I would kill to go with you and Stella and eat along the way. Maybe not kill, but close uh, to a invited, to a trip to so Big Sur. Fun. Thank you. That would be a ton of fun. Um, I love how you travel, how you um, drive, eat, think, and I hope that you'll continue to come back and share the best of the West Coast and all of your travels with us. And by the way, the piece in last month's issue of Wine Enthusiast, your Wine Country Pizzas, uh, that was a. Uh, that was actually a year ago last Oh, okay. I just read it online. Well, by the way, the, the information still applies. Th- that's fabulous. The grilled lobster with the Syrah butter and the orange sea salt. Oh, this yes. This is the way I like to roll. Okay. You know what? I, I want to roll with you. There's really incredible content and uh, information to learn to travel well at BridgetBins.com. B-R-I-G-I-T-B-I-N-N. 
S.com. You will hear Bridget Bins here on this show more with her travel escapades along with Stella, of course, and you'll find her often in Sunset Magazine and, of course, with her most recent release called Eating Up the West Coast. Bridget, always a pleasure. Safe travels, delicious dishes to you. We'll talk soon. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you. There's more fabulous food and travel coming up right after this. You wouldn't dare touch your dial, now would you? This is a place for people of all ages that love to eat. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. According to guidelines released by the CDC, children between the ages of 2 and 18 are not eating the recommended amount of vegetables. Are you? Are your kids? Well, back to school is the perfect time and opportunity, in fact, to start packing a healthier lunchbox. So why not plan to pack a snack that your kids won't be willing to trade? Donatella Arpaia is the head judge on Food Network's Iron Chef America and Next Iron Chef, whom we know and love, a New York restaurateur and chef and a proud mom. And she is joining us live to share tips on creative and nutritious ways to better your kids' lunch boxes this upcoming school season. And I'm glad to have you back, Donatella. How are you? I'm great. It's great to be back. Well, thank you. Okay. So um, your little one who I know is, um, he's a chocolate fanatic, if I'm not mistaken, right? Um, I would think he, among so many other children, it's hard to get them to eat healthy, and I know you have some really good tips because you pack a lot of lunches. It is. It is hard, <laughs> and when you pack lunches today, there are a lot more rules than when we were with nut allergies and so right. many different allergies, too. So on top of coming up with creative ways to pack lunch, we have a lot of rules. So there, it's, a, it's um, a more difficult time, but yet there are some wonderful new products out there to help the very busy mom. Even me as a chef is busy and I don't have time all the time. And some kids are more difficult than others. And that statistic you said was staggering and all too true, sadly. You have all these kids that are overweight and nutritionally starved because they're not eating fruits and vegetables. <laughs> that's, that's the problem. And, you know, vegetables are packed with vitamins and minerals. And I know firsthand how hard it is to get my kid to eat vegetables. And actually, that's why I'm excited to be working with Libby's because they came out with something brilliant, which are veggie cups. So they're microwavable, uh, single snack packs that you can just pack in your lunchbox or you can just incorporate into all the meals you have throughout the day. Um, and they're fantastic. They have corn. They have sweet peas. They have peas and carrots, cut stream beans. So you, have, you do have packaged foods today, and read your labels carefully that are wonderful and time-saving to get your children during the week to eat really good food. I've been known for my godchildren to puree some of the fresh veggies, like into meatballs or tomato sauce. I mean, there are ways that you can sneak it in so that they start to train their palate to like the flavor profile. And then 
like you said, once you see it in a veggie pack, it becomes uh, more acceptable, essentially. Yeah, and actually the brilliance about the veggie pack is it looks like a snack food. So kids oh, are like, oh, that's snack food. Sure. So they're starting already to look at vegetable in a different way. And corn, for example, I started with a sweet corn for my son because I've never met a kid who didn't like corn. Right. So that's, you know, that was an easy one, and he could just eat it right out of the cup. Hmm. You know, he was, he was hungry right before dinner, and that's a prime that's... time where kids eat junk food because you're busy, and they go to that snack drawer, and they eat something they shouldn't, then they're not hungry for dinner. Right. And I was like, here, have a, have, a, have a cup of corn. And he looked at me like, what is this? And I'm like, oh, it's fun. And, you know, you play a game with it and make, make kids have fun with their vegetables. Um, one, you mentioned meat sauce. I love meat sauce because it's an easy way to sneak in a lot of vegetables. Right. I created a turkey bolognese, which is a leaner cut of meat, obviously, and I added peas and carrots into it with the onions. And, you know, the kids have no idea. They don't even balk at the fact they're eating peas and carrots because they love the meat sauce. All of a sudden, it's interesting, right? And what is for dinner tonight, Donatella? Before I let you go, actually, it's my it's my bolognese uh, sauce with little ears pasta. But I did a healthier version, and every time I do a lot of cooking shows, I come, I try to eat healthier. So I made it with the turkey, with the peas and carrots, and this way I have I have lunch for a day or two because I'm. I'm traveling this week, so I, I have to prepare. I love the website as well. To um, to get our kids and our families back to the table, the website is getbacktothetable.com. Donatella, Arpaia's recipes are featured there. And of course, you can always learn more about Donatella Arpaia and all of her delicious adventures at Donatella Arpaia A. R-P-A-I-A dot com. Follow her on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram and watch um, The Chocolate Addict, her little one. Find new ways to eat corn. Follow her at Donatella Arpaia. Um, Donatella, come back soon, please, and visit us. So much, Jamie. Have a great day. So that brings us to the end of another hour of gastronomic inspiration, traveling the globe in search of the next big thing in food. I hope you'll open your mind and expand your palate and join me every Sunday to gain delicious knowledge. I'll leave you with my last bite, my last ounce or tidbit of culinary conversation. Today is a good day. Thank you, Tasting Table. Last week, they taught the world how to make ice cream with just two simple ingredients, and today I am paying it forward. No ice cream maker required. All you do is open a 14-ounce can of sweetened condensed milk and pour it into a large bowl. In a separate bowl, you whip two cups of heavy cream until stiff peaks form. I love a two-ingredient recipe. And then you fold the whipped cream into the sweetened condensed milk. And when they're combined, you pour the mixture into a freezer-safe container. You could mix in vanilla or crunchy mix-ins or anything you like there. And then pop the container in the freezer. And 12 hours later, you have a batch of two-ingredient ice cream. And by the way, it is delicious. Are you wondering how it works? Well, the sweetened condensed milk acts like a custard base and the whipped cream incorporates air for that fluffy, dreamy texture. And I think that is truly cool. I will post the tasting table two ingredient ice cream recipe on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen. I'll meet you this week at chefjamie.com for daily inspiration. And I hope that you'll get your quick fix of culinary entertainment next Sunday when the conversation continues. You can find podcasts in case you miss this show, downloadable with a click of a button at chefjamie.com. Don't forget, 
and I'll meet you here next Sunday. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen signing off. I thank you for listening, and I hope you continue to eat well. Well,